The scripture reading today is from John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. And that's page 942 in the Bible in the pew in front of you. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped at first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise up, take your mat, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that was the day of the Sabbath. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It does encourage us that you're here, and we want to be an encouragement to you. Uh, we're thankful to have the opportunity to come this morning and study another one of the signs that John records to prove that Jesus truly is the Son of God. In just a moment, uh, we'll look into that text that's just been so capably read. Before, allow, allow me to mention a few things to you by reminder. It is this week on Thursday evening that we'll have the opportunity to join Phil Wagner and the Latin American Mission Work uh, for an evening meal. And in that, we'll learn about the work that's taking place, but also have the opportunity to really support two things. We can support Latin America missions in general, and also we can earmark funds and support Phil. This is the time of year that he raises his annual support as a missionary. And um, most of you know Phil was uh, a youth minister here for nine years, and we, we kind of, even though he didn't grow up here in this congregation, we kind of count him as our own, and he's definitely a part of us and, and our congregation. And so we want to love and support him in every way we can. If you can come to that meal, uh, be sure and let that be known by tomorrow. And if you need help uh, with an email address or whatever that may be, contact us, let us know, and we'll be glad to get you on that list. It is a catered meal, so it'd be good if, if we knew that. Arrive by 6.30, eat by 7. Also, keep in mind that on the board in the foyer, along with this Latin America work in general, uh, Brad Hampton is leading the Operation Turkey this year, and it's an opportunity for us to support preachers and their families there with a holiday meal. And so it's $50. You also can provide a picture and, and a note, and that note will be translated. In the note, what we encourage you to do is tell just briefly about who you are and how much you appreciate the work that they do in the Lord's Kingdom in Latin America. And uh, make the check out to the Mount Juliet congregation. Uh, we are thankful and glory be to God and thankful to each one that participated in voting for the yes of one uh, on Amendment 1. And we're thankful that uh, that passed and we pray that there will be much good that will come out of that to the value and the sanctity of life. 
Also, we want to encourage you. Right after this service, we'll have Bible classes. If you're a guest, we'd love for you to join us. We have several adult classes. We have children's classes. On Sunday mornings right now, we have a fall focus in our Bible classes. We're studying the King, Jesus Christ the King, out of the study of Matthew's account. Here on our sermon time, we'll be studying that out of John's account. And so we're glad you're here for, for this study, and we hope that everyone will be involved in the study that follows in just a moment. As already mentioned in this service, we are really excited about today uh, because it's prayer day. We try to be people of prayer. Uh, we want to be people of prayer. That's very, very important to us. But once a year, we try to stop, and on one day... We pray for every member by name, every ministry and the request that those deacons have given and every request of individuals that have turned in requests. And if you still want to get in requests to be prayed for you uh, today, you can give that into the Bible class that you'll be in uh, to your elder or there is a box at the information center that you can drop a request in and that'll be prayed about today. If you have something that you want the elders to be praying about that uh, you'd rather everyone not know about that and it would be just confidential between you and the elders, there's another box there uh, that you can drop those requests in and, and our elders are going to gather for, at 4 o'clock for an hour of prayer uh, to pray for the things that you have specifically asked them uh, to pray about. And we are so blessed to have an eldership uh, that is dedicated to God, His Word, and then to pray on our behalf. Also, keep in mind, most of the classes are meeting at 5 o'clock today in their Bible classes for their time of prayer. The exception is the Manifold class will be at 5, but instead of in their class, they're going to meet in L17. It's off the old fellowship hall, and uh, you can find it there. The prayers that will be led in Spanish are going to be at the Jimenez's home at 12.30 today. And just a note, the Brazil prayer group that meets every Sunday will meet at the same time and same place. And so what a wonderful opportunity we have to be involved in praying to our Father in Heaven along with our brothers and sisters. Prayer truly is a tremendous gift. Kingdom living. Have you ever needed to make a presentation and have noticed that in the presentation you are not going to share everything you know about something. You're only going to share what needs to be shared to make the point that you want to make. I think about a morning that I was sitting in college early morning in the dining hall eating breakfast and we'd had a few bad meals in a row, and I don't mean to run down my college. I love my college and think highly of it, but we'd had some bad meals in a row and that morning I was staring at bacon so burnt. I like kind of burnt bacon, but not that burnt. And, and I looked over at my hot chocolate. I wasn't old enough to drink coffee. I look over at my hot chocolate, and my hot chocolate still has lipstick mark on it from the previous user. And I thought to myself, I pay a lot of money, and this is all I get. And so I sat there, and I just kind of pushed my tray back, and I crossed my arms, and I stared at it a while, and I thought... Maybe it's time to do something. And so I decided that evening I, I would start a, a brief mission. I wanted to research what other students pay for their meals and what they receive for what they pay. And so I called other colleges around, and what I found out was that they paid quite a bit less, and they received a lot more food. And so I called and made an appointment to meet with the president. Well, when I entered in to visit with the president, he said very little. He was kind, but he looked across the desk and he said, 
what do you have in mind? And I introduced what I had in mind, and he still said nothing, but he did have a notepad and pick up a pen and start writing. So I started presenting. And so I talked for about 20 minutes, and I told him all my research, and then at the end, I simply concluded by saying, I think it's only fair that if you pay for something you don't get, you get a refund, but I'll make a deal with you. I won't ask for a refund if you'll just give us what we pay for. Well, I didn't know how he was going to take that, and I didn't expect what he did say, and I didn't even understand why he said what he said. He looked across the desk, and he thanked me for bringing that to his attention. And then he said, would you go and give this very same presentation to the Student Government Association on Thursday evening? Why am I meeting with the Student Government Association? I didn't understand it, but I said, yes, sir. If that's what you'd like, that's what I'll do. And so I went and I gave the presentation to the Student Government Association on Thursday evening. I found out why I was there. He called the director of the food services. The owner of the company was sitting in the audience. Needless to say, he did not like the presentation. He was somewhat defensive and even questioned me in front of the others and accusing me that my facts were not right. I gave him phone numbers and told him, feel free to check it out. All I know is that in about two weeks, we had half our cafeteria closed down for renovation and things changed in a big way. Uh, a lot of services were offered in just a few weeks' time that we'd never had before then. Why did I tell you that? I tell you that to say this, that whenever you go in to to make a presentation, you're going in for a purpose. There's something you're trying to accomplish. And in that, you're not going to talk about everything you know. You're going to talk about what needs to be addressed. Do you realize that Jesus was a very, very good friend with John, the writer of the Gospel of John? Do you realize that, that he's even described sometime as John is as the disciple that Jesus loved? Listen, if John were going to write a gospel that was more personal, to say, let me tell you about our relationship, Jesus and John's relationship, it would be a very, very different book than what you and I hold in our hands today. You see, that wasn't the purpose of John's writing. I know we began here a few times, but I want to do it again so that our mind is on this as we study. Look in John, the 20th chapter. We're going to come right back there to John 5, but look at John 20 and verse 30. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. Why? Why did you write these signs, John? that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John says, I wrote what I'm writing here because I'm making a presentation. Well, John, what are you trying to convince us of? I'm trying to convince every reader that will pick this up and read it that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that you can believe in Him and have eternal life through His name. What a purpose for writing. And in that we have John recording some great I am statements that are unique to the Gospel of John. But also what we have is we have him recording at least seven miracles that John doesn't call miracles. He calls them signs because they're miraculous, they're powerful, but they're not just so that we can gawk over the, the, the miracle itself. It's so that the miracle will point us to an understanding that Jesus is the Son of God. At the end of the fourth chapter, we had just finished up another miracle, the healing of the nobleman's son. You remember that's when Jesus was up in Galilee 
and he was at Cana, and the nobleman had traveled all the way over from Capernaum. And now we begin with the very next verse in the fifth chapter, and in verse 1, if you have your Bible there, look at John 5 and 1, and it says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and the Jews went up to Jerusalem. So now we have the after this pointing to a vagueness of time. Like, for example, in the second chapter of John, he was very specific with time. He said this happened three days later. By the time we get into John now, at this point in time, John is not trying to give us an exact time. We assume that this is somewhere about a year into the ministry of Jesus Christ. But notice also as we look at this, this verse 1, we see that now he's gone to a feast. We're not for sure what the feast is. It very well could have been a Passover feast, but it was a holy day that the Jews were going to celebrate and they would go to Jerusalem to do that. So we see in verse 1 that now the geography has moved from Galilee down to Judea. On this map here, we see an idea if you need to be reminded of what that would look like. Let's go to this next slide and notice the map. You see that we have circled at the very top of that map Cana where he was at the end of the fourth chapter. Capernaum where the man, the nobleman was from that wanted his son to be healed. But then you go way down the bottom of that map and you see Judea and, and Judah. And as you see that, you see also Jerusalem. And that's where Jesus has traveled at this point. And so now we see that as he has entered into Jerusalem, and if you have your Bibles open, you see there in verse 2 and 3, you, you see that there was a, a pool there. And this pool is at Bethesda, and it is a pool that the sick and the paralyzed and the lame, they would gather around it and they would lay there. And there was the idea that if, if an angel would come down and stir the waters, that the first one in the waters could be healed. So it was a place where hurting people gathered. But wait a minute. If it was a place where hurting people gathered, why do we read in John the 5th chapter and verse 6 that that's where Jesus was? If there's a place in our town where hurting people gathered, would you ever be found there? Perhaps this morning you'd say, I'd be found there because I'm hurting this morning. Or maybe there's others that would say, you know, right now I, I'm doing pretty good. There's no reason for me to go. But then we pause mid-sentence and say, why? If we're feeling good, so to speak, if we're strong, why would we not go to where the hurting are so that we could help those who hurt? You see, let's read this in verse 5 and 6 together again, and let's think about, now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. Now notice this next phrase here we have highlighted. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Please don't take that, that statement for granted. In other words, it would be easy for you and I to read these verses and think, well, these verses are just telling a story. But shouldn't we read these verses and say, John is trying to teach us something about Jesus. And also John is teaching us something about ourselves. What we learn about ourselves is that throughout life, we're going to have times that we're the one that's hurting. But also we can learn from Jesus that throughout times in our life, we might not be the one that's hurting but shouldn't we learn from Jesus here? What did Jesus do? Don't take it for granted. 
It says Jesus saw the man. How many other Jews do you think came from all over for that feast there in Jerusalem? And they probably were at places where other people that were whole and well were. And they were probably gathering around and they were probably enjoying the feast and they were probably catching up. Pause and ask yourself, why was Jesus at this pool? Because that's where the hurting were. Isn't it interesting how many times Jesus took the time out of his days to go to the place where people were hurting? Now when he went there... I'd like for you to also notice on this next slide, we'll just highlight the next phrase in verse 6. He knew that he had been in that condition a long time. In other words, he saw this man. There had been a lot of Jews in Jerusalem that week, and they would not have seen this man because they didn't go with open eyes to see the hurting. And when he saw this man, he was willing to humanize this man. He was willing to take and say, you know what? That man has been in that condition a long time. You see, now it's becoming real. Now we're, we're letting down the barrier and we're engaging in someone's life. Can I give you an example of, of how sometimes we fail to do that in a way that's less, far less important than this, but then we can apply it maybe to our lives and to this situation? Do you remember a time when, when maybe you were pretty young maybe four, five, six years old. Do you remember the first time that it ever dawned on you that school teachers don't like live in the classroom and like that's all they are? Do you remember that? I remember that, that in our public school that we went to, my sister's three years older, so I'd have probably been about four years old. She was in second grade. And her second grade teacher spent the first few weeks of school going into every home of the children. So she would call the parents and say, hey, on Thursday evening, can I just stop by your house? I just want to meet you. I'm, I'm, I'm Rebecca's school teacher, and I, I'll just be there for five or ten minutes. I just want to say hello to you. And, and here I am as a little child, and, and I had seen my older sister's school teachers in school. And I remember when she walked in our house and sat on our couch, I remember just thinking... So they exist outside of school? I didn't know that. Like, like, I just thought that, I don't know what I thought. I just thought they like live there, they never left, or there's like a chip in them, and when all the kids leave, you pull the chip out and they just close down for the day. And at what point, at what point in your life did you realize everybody I know lives 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and so when you see this hurting person, Jesus saw a man that had been in this condition and everybody else was fine to pass by. And can you imagine Jesus taking the time to think, who, who carries you here every morning? Who, who brings you food when you're hungry? I know this is private, but when you have to use the restroom, who, who helps you do that? When you need something broad or you need to be carried, are there people in your life that help you do that? Oh, I don't want to think about that. I've got a busy life. I don't have time to humanize them because then that would start making me think about things and then I would start seeing people 
And I would start seeing their pain. And I would start seeing their obstacles. And then I would see what? I would naturally see ways that I could help. You know, one of the best stories that was ever told on this topic, we will not take the time to heavy, heavily develop it, but I want to show you something from that great story that we oftentimes call the Good Samaritan story. Although the Bible never calls him good, we can't hardly tell his story without calling him good. Look in Luke the 10th chapter, and, and I just want to scan this. Do you remember in Luke the 10th chapter, beginning verse 30, we had the man that was traveling from, from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and remember thieves surrounded him, they robbed him, and they, they left him uh, half dead, and, and, and they stripped him of his raiments, and so here's a man that is literally dying, half dead in the streets, and so you'd say, oh, this is good news, in 31, a priest is coming by. Well, definitely a priest is going to see and help. No, no, the priest did. See there in 31, he did see him. And when he saw him, what did he do? He passed by. Well, that's okay because in 32, a Levite's coming by. And the Levites were usually good people too. And so the Levite comes by, he'll help him out. But notice it says he looked. In other words, he saw him, but see, he wouldn't take the time to humanize him. And so he passed by on the other side. And then the Jews hearing this story would never expect the good person to be the Samaritan. But the Samaritan passes on his journey and notice the end sentence here in 33. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He saw him and felt it. Hey, you, you may die if someone doesn't help you. You, you need those wounds tended to, don't you? You need someone to help you get to a place to sleep and to recover tonight, don't you? Those are things that I have the capability of doing. I see you. I feel the compassion. And in that we see in 34 that he did bandage up those wounds and they poured oil and wine in them, tending to them. He put him on his animal and he brought him to the end. And what did he do? He took care of him. Why? Because he humanized the situation and then also he was honest about the situation. So oftentimes we look the other way because we don't want to be honest. We don't want to be honest and admit that person needs help. We don't want to be honest and say, not only does that person need help, I could offer them what they need right now. But if I choose to look the other way, now I can pretend that they're like the school teacher at the end of the day. You just take the chip out and they don't exist anymore. I look the other way and they don't exist anymore. And, and when I lay down to sleep at night, I don't have to worry about them because they don't exist anymore. Or do they? Yes, we know they do. And so what a powerful, powerful reminder that Jesus gives us in the story of the Good Samaritan. And then notice the rest of verse 6 in John, the fifth chapter. I'd like for you to look at the rest of verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? Is this a joke? A man has been in this infirmity for 38 years? And Jesus, you're really going to ask do you want to be made well? Jesus, you know everybody that's hurting wants to be made well. No. No, they don't. Not by any means. 
There are probably people here today that have had infirmities for so long that if you could be healed right now, you would probably have to pause and think about it for a few minutes because there's some unknowns in that. And then spiritually speaking, there would probably be several here this morning that you know you have the opportunity to be made well. But the question is, will you? Do you want to be made well spiritually? Why would people not want to be made well? When I was studying this earlier in the week, I shot Jamie Harper an email. I said something to the effect of, hey, I know you deal with this a lot in the Recovery Through Christ program. I just want you to tell me, why do you think Jesus asked the question to this man, do you want to be made well? And the first thing that, that Jamie said was, some people don't want to be made well because the change is scary. You see, it's unfamiliar. I've been in this condition for 38 years. I know all these people around the pool. I figured out how to get through my day. But you know what? Now, if a man like me, 38 years later, if I'm healed, I don't know what it's going to be like out there trying to make my living I know all my friends here, but I don't know what it's going to be like with friends out there. And so as strange as it is, there's a lot of people that are hurting that, that they talk in one sense as if they want to be made well, but if they had to answer saying miraculously, it's going to change right now, do you really want to be made well? I don't know. The third thing that Jamie mentioned is if you're well, then you can't use the excuses anymore. You see, at this time... The man, remember his protest to the question. In other words, the man's implying, yes, I do want to be made well. But look at verse 7. His protest, it probably is a reason, but it also could have been used in his life as an excuse. Look at verse 7. The sick man answered and said, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Did you know that a lot of people that, that struggle with, with physical sickness or even spiritual sickness? Do you know that everything that happens to them in life, they blame it on that? And in that, they become a victim. And that's convenient. Because then anytime somebody is disappointed, which it's just, that's the excuse. Anytime something could be better, but it's not, that's just the excuse. You have to understand. Do you know that a lot of families... It's a proven fact that when a lot of families have an attic in the family and the attic gets better, the tension in the family gets worse. You know why? Because everybody in the family blamed everything that came along on the attic. And now that the attic is better, we don't have anybody to blame anymore. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. It was good when my wife or my husband or my, or my, my teenager was an addict because we had a go-to excuse for everything. You see, when we say, I want things better, what we're saying is, I'll take responsibility. I'm not going to lean on those excuses anymore. Jesus, no surprise to any of us here, in his wisdom, ask, do you want to be made well? Because Jesus knew that not everyone would want to be made well. And so in the fifth chapter in verse 8, Jesus said, Rise, 
In other words, he had the power to do what no one up to that point could do for that man. He was able. He was capable. Rise. Number two, take up your bed. In other words, this isn't a Cinderella story. You have the midnight to walk around, but you'll need to come back to this same bed. No, you are going to be made well. Arise. Take up your bed. You don't need it here beside this pool anymore. And then walk. Carry yourself. For years, people have been carrying you. They've been carrying things to you. You get up, you walk, you carry yourself. You go out now and make a difference with the newfound strength and health that you have. And in the fifth chapter in verse nine, we see that it was a miracle because immediately the man was made well. Do you notice that? Immediately. That's why it was miraculous. The man was made well. What did he do? Exactly what the Lord said. When he arose, he took up his bed and he walked. And we also have the information that that was the Sabbath day. What did I learn today? Number one, I learned that we can't help people we don't see. Do we have our eyes open? Number two, I learned that not all who hurt want to be healed. This morning, if you're here and you're hurting, especially if you're hurting spiritually, do you realize that the healing is available for certain? There's no doubt. It's available. You just have to ask yourself, do I want the healing? And number three, living in the guilt of our sin is far worse than any disease or any infirmity. As we extend the invitation, I want to drop back to the text and notice that passage right there that we're referring to in that question. In John the fifth chapter, in verse 13, we read 13 and 14. But the one who was healed did not know who it was, talking about who it was that healed him, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and he said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. You can imagine when the man picked up his bed and started walking, can you imagine him staring at his feet? Can you imagine him looking around? And probably so many steps away, it probably dawned on him, where is that man that healed me? Maybe he looked back to say thank you. Maybe he looked back just to smile at him. But the point was, Jesus intentionally withdrew himself. And so the man literally didn't know who healed him. And so later in the temple, Jesus comes back up to this man and he makes this very important instruction to him in 14. He says, you see that you've been made well physically? Let me warn you of something here. You need to be made well spiritually. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. What's worse than a man having infirmity for 38 years? A man or a woman carrying the guilt of their sin into death. It's far worse. Brethren, there is nothing physical that can compare to the spiritual sickness that sin brings into our life. 
And so when we look at all of these miracles and that John records that are powerful and they're healing, do you realize every time John is putting the emphasis on this fact, wow, does that impress you that Jesus can make a man walk? Let me tell you what's far greater than that. He can save their soul. This morning, do you want to be made well? Spiritually, are you weak? Spiritually, are you lame? Spiritually, are you dead? Do you believe it? This morning, you can be made well. This morning, you can be stronger. This morning, you can walk spiritually without a limp. This morning, if you're dead, you can have a resurrection in Christ. Do you want to be made well? Who is it that's sick that says, I don't want it? That's what Satan wants you to believe. Satan wants you to believe that's where you need to stay. And you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Don't leave here this morning sick spiritually. If you're ready to be baptized into Christ so that you can be resurrected into newness of life, do it this morning. Maybe you've begun that journey and along the way you become weak on that journey. Listen, there's not anybody here that hasn't been weakened with sin. But it doesn't justify us to say, let's stay there. Be humble this morning and say, I'm repenting of that. And, and I'm going to go back to what I know I need to be, a servant of Jesus Christ. It's only by His grace and His mercy, but thank God He offers it to us. Let's pray forgiveness. If we can help you in any